Well, good morning, Anchor. Go ahead and have a seat. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we are wrapping up our teaching series, Pinched, this morning. We have spent four weeks talking uh, about money, <laughs> talking about money, bringing all this truth from Scripture that speaks to issues about finances into this room so that we can be equipped and have an understanding. Hey, we recognize when we look at things like cost of living, or the market, or maybe just what the gas pump, you know, what our bill at the gas pump is, though it's been going down a little bit. Weird to be excited about some of the prices that we're still seeing. But we know that those are things that cause stress and strain in our heart and in our head and in our life and in our relationships. So we want to be a people of freedom and wisdom and bringing all this wisdom in scripture to bear on our financial situation. And so we're wrapping up this teaching series today. So you should have no more issues ever with finances in your life. Um, uh, with this, uh, with a, a message on generosity. So we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, and I'm going to read it, all of it. And sometimes here at Anchor, we kind of read it sequentially throughout the teaching. Other times we read it all up front. Today we're reading it all up front. And um, to do that, uh, it, well, it's important that we do that because I think we come in with different places. We're in different places with regard to our financial, or sorry, with regard to scripture. Some of us come in not knowing anything about scripture and other of us come in knowing a lot about scripture. We've done the Bible in a year plan five years in a row and we've got all of our Bible merit badges, you know, and everything like that. And others of us know, you know, we're learning and trying to figure out more and more about scripture, but we're very much on a journey. So one thing, when we read scripture, it gives everybody a chance to be on the same level playing field. So that's why we do that. We want everybody, oh, look at those lights. We're adjusting them. <laughs> Isn't that great? So uh, we're, we want to be on the same level playing field. If you don't have a Bible, um, we're gonna be, it's going to be on the screen. But if you do, open it up. Take a look at this so we can be uh, engaging and you can see what the text says. So in chapter 25 of Matthew, verse 14, we read, Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God. This isn't a passage of scripture where Jesus is like, hey, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. So that word it, it's referring to the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is going to be like a man going on a journey who called all of his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. Now the commentators say that just one bag of gold is equivalent to 20 years of income. And so some of you are like, well, whose income, Brian? Well, I don't know, um, but, but 20 years is still a lot, no matter what kind of income we're talking about. So this is a lot of money. So five bags of gold to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. If you're an underliner, you might underline, put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. You might want to underline that. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you know that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has 10 will be given more and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, ending on a positive note there. We're going to do an exercise and I, I need, at the outset of this exercise, I need you to trust me. Do you trust me? I need, this is, a, you know, that was like a, that was like a B, uh, B level tr- uh, in, engagement. I, I need to know from, this is, this is a big exercise, lots on the line here. So right, do, you, do you trust me? Do you trust me? All right, I, all right, all right. I think we're good. We, we're good? We're good? Yeah, we're good. All right. I need you to do this. Bring out your wallet out of your back pocket or your purse. Okay, now and hold it out in front of you. Okay, and everybody do this. We're all we're all doing this here. Grab your wallet. Uh, welcome to church if you're new to Anchor, by the way. <laughs> Grab your wallet and just put it out in front of you. Now, um, uh, now here's where I need you to trust me. You still trust me? Still trust me? There's very very limited engagement after that one. I want you to trade this with somebody next to you. Exchange it. Go ahead and exchange it with somebody next to you. Go ahead and exchange it. Go ahead and exchange it. Now, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take an offering, and I want you to give like you've never given before. Just joking. Some of you are like, I wish I sat next to somebody else. <laughs> None of you are thinking that. Now, I just still hold it, though. Still hold it up there in front of you. Does anybody feel a little vulnerable, a little awkward? Wow, okay, we have the totally secure people over here and the rest of us are normal, so teach us your ways. This is, here's the thing is that, you know, when somebody holds your, whether your phone or your wallet, I say phone because some of you tech savvy people don't even carry your wallet anymore, you're just like zap, and you pay with your phone. That's still, yeah, it's a little weird. Um, for Americans, Finances are some of the most stressful, anxiety-producing things in our life. Perhaps more than any other nation on the planet, us Americans, we wrap our identity and all of that around what's in your hand. All right, you can exchange it back. You can get your money back. Make sure you get your, you know, your, wall, your right wallet back, you know. <laughs> And I, here's why we do this though. Because here's the bottom line. 
The bottom line is this, every one of us, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, we have to make a decision about our finances. And the decision is this, is it mine or is it yours, God's? Every one of us has to reach that crossroads and make that decision. Am I a steward of this or am I holding on to it and it's all mine? Oftentimes the reason why we say it's mine and don't say it's yours, God's, is because there's some type of fear that is keeping us from generosity. Because here's the truth, fear blocks generosity. Fear blocks generosity. A few years ago, I was on a run with a friend. <clears throat> we were in Snake Lake. It's about a half mile away, if you don't know. It's great, some great trails. We were running early in the morning, and um, uh, we were about halfway in, about a half mile in on these trails, and this owl swooped down and, um, and, and started putting its talons on my friend's head. Apparently, he was very, you know, uh, a threat to this owl, and I was not threatening. I don't know. Uh, but what I did was in a total courageousness, and to you're going to marvel at this, you guys, in total courageousness, I just stepped back and took a note from Wu-Tang Clan, just protect your neck, you know. That's what I did. <laughs> and I just kind of watched the spectacle of this owl swooping down on my friend. Not one of my more brilliant or brave moments. Well, here's the thing. is because throughout the history of my running uh, life, I've been swooped on by many times uh, by owls. I just, I don't know, at different seasons, they've liked me more than my friend, I guess, you know. And uh, one time, and my, if you talk to my wife, she said, would tell you there was just a very light scratch. It was not even a big deal at all. But I tell you, I was hemorrhaging blood out of my head. It was crazy. It was gnarly. So, so when this owl swooped on my friend, you know, I'm like, I am not even, I am, I am, I am protecting myself. Fear brings us into self-protection mode. It just happens even just kind of like on a, on a neurological brain level. In fact, when we, when we start feeling fear, all of a sudden, all the energy, all of the commotion in our mind goes to our amygdala, which is the part of our brain that has the greatest amount of resemblance to the lizard brain. Now, some of you uh, maybe have heard the phrase, uh, oh, I went into my lizard brain. That means I'm in super reactive mode. I don't have the ability to think into the future or have any type of rational thinking. I'm just reacting to the threat that's in front of me. And when we go into our lizard brain, it sends all these signals into our nervous system to what? Fight flight or to freeze. In my example I just shared with you, I went into freeze mode. Freeze mode. And when we're afraid, the natural inclination, it's actually uh, a helpful defense mechanism in the right circumstances. But the natural inclination is to protect yourself. And here's why fear blocks generosity. Well, fear is all about protecting myself, but generosity requires, I think, outside of myself. Generosity requires that I'm, I'm engaging with something that is outside of me, and I'm thinking about the resources I possess, how I can distribute them so that others are blessed. And when I'm afraid, I cannot be generous because I'm in self-protection mode. The passage of scripture uh, that we read actually illustrates this very point. You see, in verse 24, it says, Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, 
I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So what? So what is he going to say? So I was afraid. So I was afraid. And what did I do in my fear? And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. In self-protection, he didn't do anything with what he was given. He just hid it in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Actually, it's less than what belongs to you, Buster, because of, you know, inflation. So the money that I gave you is actually worth less than now because you just hid it in the ground. Little economics lesson this guy missed somewhere along the line. In 1975, a researcher named Roger Hart did a study on a small town of Vermont. And he was tracking kind of the scope of play that um, children had in this small town, ages 3 to 14. And he would follow these kids around, taking note on like how, they, how far they went out and where did they play. And what he found was that by age 10 in this small town in Vermont, you, the, most kids like knew every nook and cranny of the town. They explored, they knew the alleyways, they could ride on a bike from point A to point Z and they just knew it. And what he found is there's this huge scope of play across the whole town. But when he went back in 2014, he discovered something interesting. What he found was, was that the scope of play had shrunk considerably. Whereas, where the crime actually did not increase, when he followed the kids around, same ages, 3 to 14, he saw that when, when he asked, hey, where are you playing? Where do you go? They basically would just walk a perimeter around their house. Why? Even though crime had not risen, fear had risen. And what happens when fear rises, it shrinks everything in your life. It shrinks things. It shrinks the scope of play like the study found. But it also shrinks uh, other things. It shrinks things to a small circle of self-protection around ourselves. So that we feel or we feel a false sense of safety. Fear does this with our resources as well. You see, if we're living fearfully about the uncertainty of the future, we might do something irrational, like bury our money, but we'll never do something creative and bold and courageous. We can't, because we're thinking in fear mode. Something creative and bold and courageous and generous might be, I'm going to take this money and allocate it here. I'm going to give this money to this cause. I'm going to invest this and I'm going to make sure that this is saved. And I'm going to make sure that the kids have this for the future for some type of, you know, for college or whatever it is. I'm, I'm going to take the opportunities that I see and I'm going to seize them because I'm thinking forward and I'm thinking generously. So I'm going to make sure I give greatly. I save intelligently. I'm going to do that. But if we're in fear mode, we draw a circle just around ourselves and we think in self-protection mode. Fear always shrinks things. In the story here, you know, it's interesting. Um, like, I, I, like, like, what was the source of fear for the guy? 
And it says, I was afraid. Why was he afraid? Was he maybe looking at the Jerusalem Street Journal, you know, and seeing this kind of line go like this? And she was like, ah, can't invest now. It's, it's kind of scary. I'm just going to bury it. Was he just kind of afraid about the uncertainty of the future? Is that kind of what he was going to? Maybe, maybe. It's not really spelled out in the text, but it could be. Or maybe he was kind of afraid of a line of kind of insecurity. He looked at the guy who had five and the guy who had two, and he's like, I'm kind of like feeling like small potatoes. I'm just going to shore up my risks and make sure that there's no loss because I, I don't want to deplete what I have. Maybe. It's not really spelled out. What we are sure of looking at the text is that he was afraid because he had a misunderstanding of who the master was. He had a misunderstanding of who the master was. In verse 24, it says, I knew, this is the servant talking to the master, I knew that you are a hard man. So I was afraid. I knew that you were a hard man. You know, it's interesting when the master responds, he doesn't say, you're right. He doesn't, he doesn't say, you're right. He says, oh, if you thought I was a hard man, He's not saying I am. He's saying, if you thought I was a hard man, how come you didn't act like this? He never says, yeah, you're right, I'm a hard man. And looking, you know, like at the engagement for the master has towards the other servants, you actually, it's pretty clear that the master is not a hard man. He's full of joy. We'll go talk more about that in a second. But let me just, this is the principle that we need to understand. Misunderstanding who God is leads to an unhealthy fear of God and fear as we live our life. Misunderstanding who God is leads to an fe- unhealthy fear of God. There is a healthy fear of God, but this is an unhealthy fear of God. And leads to fear also as we live our life. But a correct understanding of who God is leads to warmth in our relationship with God, relational intimacy and warmth with God, and warmth towards others and generosity in our life. So how do we set out on a journey of overcoming fear? How do we do it? If fear blocks generosity, I don't think any of us want to be trapped in that paradigm. We want to move forward and start out on a journey of overcoming fear. Well, check this verse out. I love this verse in 1 John 4, 18. It says, there is no fear in love. Just stop there for a second. There is no fear in love. Think about this, like you can tell the quality of the love by whether or not there is fear in it. If there is fear in the love that you're sharing with somebody else, then there is a journey of healing to work through. Because the Bible says there is no fear in love. If there is fear in love, then the love is depleted and diminished. It is not a hundred percent love. It goes on, says, but perfect love drives out fear. I'm imagining perfect love like a bouncer at the club, right? And, you know, fear snuck into the club, kind of weaseled his way in. And the bouncer's like, no, 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 we're driving you out. You're not welcome here. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Let us all be on a journey of of moving and overcoming fear. How do we do this? We have to get a proper understanding, a correct understanding of the master, of who the master really is. 
to do this, I want to, I want to give us like a glimpse of like a, of the, what I'm calling the story of scripture from God's perspective. It's like, if we could just look at like scripture and like what scripture is really about, you know, and, and, and hear it from God's perspective, then I think we're going to get a sense of kind of like who this God is so that we can have a proper understanding of who this God is. So these are all paraphrases or direct um, excerpts from scripture of God speaking. And it begins in Genesis. He says, very, very good. He's looking over everything he's made and he's, he's saying, very, very good. It's important to note there are a couple other options he said. He could have said, yeah, good enough for government work, you know, all right, that's fine. And uh, just be satisfied with it. Like admittedly, sometimes I am with my house projects. I won't ask anybody to raise their hand if they're like me on that. He could have been like, yeah, that'll do. That'll, that's, 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 that's fine. Or he could have said, oh, I don't like it. I'm going to scrap it and start again. He could have said other things, but instead he says, he's looking over his image bearers. He's looking over his creation. He's like, very, very good. And then when it goes all haywire and askew because of sin, what does he say? He doesn't say, I'm going to scrap it and throw it away and start again. No, he says, where are you? He goes to his image bearers, pursuing those that are running from him. And he says, where are you? Where are you? He's chasing his image bearers down. He wants those that bear his image to know his love. That is a pursuing love for those who wander. And then going even forward, the first glimpse we have of like the person of Jesus in Isaiah 7, 14, this is, this is a, you could paraphrase it with, I will show you the lengths I will go to be with you. This is God. I will show you the great lengths I'll go. I'll take on flesh. I'll be born among you to show you my love. I want you to know that I love you. And then, Mashing up Matthew eleven twenty eight and 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Come to me, place your burdens on my shoulders. This is Jesus speaking and wrapped up with a little bit of Paul. He's kind of saying, he's like, hey, I know you carry shame. I know you carry guilt. I know you carry the hangups from the past mistakes that, that are still crippling the joy in your present moment. I want you to put that all on my shoulders because I paid the burden so you don't have to carry the burden. My yoke is easy. And then at the very end of scripture, Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4, nearly the la- some of the last verses in the whole Bible, let me dry your eyes, watch the world heal, or I will never leave. You see, when we see and understand that that is who God is, it starts to change things. We have a correct view of God. And when we have a correct view of God, we don't have fear in this relationship. In fact, it's been cast out. And so we can start living forward, living a life of generosity in our life, knowing that fear is not setting the tone and that there is a God who loves us and is providing for us and we are not without and we have started to start on a journey of living generously, thinking generously. You know what I love about um, in this passage of scripture we just we read is that, you know, when you look at the guy who brings the two and then a guy who brings the five, you know, like it's, it's God's response to these guys is, is the exact same, which is important to note because like, you know, like it may not be that intuitive. 
You know, if you and your boss, you know, you come to your boss and you're like, well, you know, I got five and somebody else brings two, or maybe you bring two and somebody else brings five, you might get in kind of in whatever your workplace environment, you might get the person that got brought five back with like some big bonuses, some big benefits and some big accolades. Everybody's cheering for him in the staff meeting. And the guy with two, he gets like a little honorable mention or something like that. And a JV benefits package. That's an actual HR term, JV benefits package. Uh, you know, there, there might be some of that that would play out in workplaces around here where the person who like does the same amount of work but just gets a smaller yield doesn't quite get the same recognition but here it's interesting the master says the exact same thing to both of the people he says well done good and faithful servant come and share in the master's happiness this is not a hard man this is a man that is filled with happiness I've been thinking about those words, come share in the master's happiness all week as I've been preparing this message. And it's almost as if like there is this constant joy that the father has that he is inviting us into. Come share in this happiness that I have. I'm inviting you into it. It's a room that is always available. The door is always open. Come share in this joy that is never diminished and is always there. Come share in it. Come, I'm not a hard man. I'm a man that is filled with joy and happiness. This is the master. This is the picture of who God is. You know, this yesterday, our family, we went to the beach because that's what you do when it is like it has been outside. We go to the beach, Narrows Park, and uh, it's great. You know, except, you know, there's a rock beach. And most of the time I complain about rock beaches. I imagine beaches are sandy and then you go to a Washington beach and you're like, oh, I guess... But it worked out good because we're, uh, we're walking along Soren and I and uh, we started skipping some rocks. My son Soren's nine years old and um, you know, he hasn't really skipped rocks at all before. And uh, admittedly, I'm not very good. I, I can get three, you know, I got three, uh, three skips, you know. Um, not one of those guys who can go from one side of the lake to the other, you know, if you are, teach me your ways, please. Uh, but, you know, we're finding these rocks and, you know, I'm, I'm teaching them how to skip, skip a rock. I'm like, you, you put your elbow in and you kind of like do the, like a pshong, you know, and he's like, all right, pshong, all right, you know. And we're looking for some good ones and I, I, I find a, a really flat one and Soren's like, hey, can I have that one, Dad? And he hasn't been able to skip rocks yet. And I'm like, I kind of want, you know, okay, you know. <laughs> all right. So he, he, you know, he's, he's practicing, he's pshong, you know, and he, he kind of releases it and he, he gets three. And I have this moment of just like such happiness. I'm like something small, you know, but what I had given him with the little bit of tutorial that I'd provided and with this rock, he had done something with what I had given him. And I was just filled with delight. I was filled with joy. I was just excited, uh, you know, and I guess I think of this as like a little glimpse of the father. When we take what he has given us and we bring it and we find ways to use it, we, we, we orient it certain ways. I just sense like he's like, oh my gosh, I'm so filled with joy at my kid. The master has given you resources Every one of you. He has given every one of you resources. 
And he's inviting you to use them in creative and generous ways. Every single one of you. Some of those resources are gifts, spiritual gifts. Uh, Some are talents, just skills that you have. Some are financial gifts, financial resources. Some are just time, availability. And the only thing that would keep us from hearing step into the master's happiness is that we have a view of the master that's riddled with fear and so we bury our gifts and we never use them. That's the only thing that would keep us from hearing step into the master's happiness. God is inviting every one of us to take the resources we have and direct them in certain ways. Ways marked by generosity. He wants you to know him. See, the thing is, when you know him, you don't let fear win. And he's inviting us to live lives of fearless generosity. Fearless generosity. Wouldn't it be cool if we were a community marked by fearless generosity? I think we are. I think we're growing in it. A friend of mine uh, told me years ago, he was about 10 years older than me. He goes, Brian, you know, I think as we age, we have two options. We can become either calloused, increasingly calloused to the world's evil and pain and just harden our hearts and steal steal our hearts to protect ourselves from all of the challenges in the world. Or we can become increasingly soft and tender and empathetic to all of the world's challenges in the world. And he said, Brian, I, I want to become softer as I age. I want to become softer as I age. I want to become, if I have an option to, to not tear up ever or to tear up anytime I see something tender, I'm going with the tearing up and tender. You can tell my staff, you can tell, yeah, we got, we got. Good yes. Um, my staff would tell you, uh, our team would tell you that I'm well on my way. Um, here's why I think it's the father's heart. The father, Stephen, looking at those verses, God, he's not hardening his heart to the world. He keeps pursuing. He keeps running after. He keeps coming towards us. He took on flesh. He sends his spirit. He says, where are you when we run? Why? Because he's a generous God. And when we are, when we, when we know that's who he is, we start having that same disposition towards the world. And we start wanting to have fearless generosity in our lives. This is not just money, though it definitely affects our finances. It's with our words. Are we fearlessly generous with our words? Or do we shore up compliments thinking that if I dole out another compliment, somebody will think too highly of themselves and then all of a sudden things will go. No, we're fearlessly generous with our words. Are we fearlessly generous with our time? Are we fearlessly generous with our judgments of others? Or are we always writing stories about others' actions where we should just be generous? Are we fearlessly generous with our gifts, 
God is fearlessly generous. He calls us to be fearlessly generous. And this happens in organized and organic ways. Organized and organic ways. Organized would be, I'm giving my time, my finances, some resources towards this organization. So this is like your tithe. This would be like you're giving your tithe to this organization that has a history of doing great kingdom work and I wanna support the work that is happening here. That's what a tithe is. But it also happens in organic ways where there's a need that comes up, whether it's in my neighbor, coworker, or anchor group, and I'm gonna orient resources towards it so that a need is met. Recently, I got an opportunity to kind of be a part of an organic, uh, fearless generosity opportunity. You may have heard that, you know, uh, we tried to give a lot of resources towards some families that are fleeing the Ukraine and going uh, uh, to places of safety. Now, a, a lot of them ended up coming into the United States. And, and so our neighbor who we've been working with, whose family lives in the Ukraine, um, had cousins and family members that are still on their way trying to find a way towards the United States. Um, and last Friday, uh, two moms and two six-year-old girls landed at SeaTac. And we had made arrangements. We have a basement apartment, so we made arrangements for them to stay in our basement apartment. But the fridge was empty and the cabinets were empty. And so they were going to be stepping in, essentially, to a space, but it was barren. So I just sent a text out to our anchor group. I said, hey, here's kind of what they like. They mentioned pickles and whiskey and then some other things. <laughs> Within 48 hours, there was pickles and whiskey, but there was a whole lot more. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit. The, the cabinets were full. The fridge was full. It had stuff that the kids loved had stuff that the moms wanted. There was a gift to the kids, these six-year-old, two six-year-old girls. The person who gave the gift had the wherewithal to use Google Translate to write a note to these six-year-old girls that were leaving the only home they ever knew to find safety. A note of tenderness and probably botched Russian, but <laughs> thank you, Google Translate, for being able to, you know. But I also wrote a note in cursive that it takes a translator just to read the cursive but it said there's a church that loves you because we have been loved by God and so this is all an expression all expression of us trying to live fearlessly generous so I had this cool opportunity to just show off the generosity of this community that you didn't even know about guys I open up the door and they walk in and I say, make yourself comfortable, talk in a little while. And I met him in our backyard a few hours later with tears running down their face. This is the kind of cool stuff of being fearlessly generous. We get to show off what God is like to people that may or may not know what God is like. This is why we do this stuff. This is why we live like this. This is why we don't let fear win the day. It's why we 
take what God has given us, whether it's two or five, and we find ways, as the scripture says, to put it to work. We put it to work. We take the finances that we have. We take the spiritual gifts that we have. We take the talent. We take the time. We take everything we have, and we put it to work in ways that are a blessing to others and are coming as a picture of what God has given to us so that people know the generosity of God and come out of difficult circumstances so that they know that God is for them and that we are for them. This is what we do. I love this. It says the guy who got five, it says he put his money to work. I I would love if we would just adopt that principle as we're just going to put our resources to work. This is why every time when we talk about giving and the band can come up right now, when we talk about giving here at Inker, we always try to tell a story of what your giving is doing because we are trying to tell you, hey, we're trying to put this, these resources to work. And all of this ultimately, guys, <laughs> all of this, this idea of not letting fear win the day and being fearlessly generous is ultimately imaged in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, it says he was rich, but scripture says he became poor. Why? For our sake. So that we might become rich. So that we, while broken, might become reconciled to a holy God and live in connection with the God that is love and in in relationship with him. Jesus did this by taking on the weight of the world's brokenness on his shoulders and giving us his riches. This is fearless generosity. And this is what we celebrate each week with the communion elements. It's why we say Christ's body given for you, Christ's blood shed for you. If you taste it, it's just a wafer and grape juice. But it's so much more because it points to the rich mercy that is on offer to everyone that says yes to Jesus Christ. So you're invited to the communion table. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe you don't came in here not knowing if you believe in Jesus. I just want to say the option is open to say yes to the God of mercy today. And if your answer is yes, you're invited to the communion table to be reminded that his love has met you where you're at and it's not going to leave you where you're at. There's also space for prayer on both sides of the auditorium. And here's the thing. Everyone comes in here with prayer needs. Let's not pretend. Take advantage of praying with someone else, bringing the needs that you have to the the Father with another person. We've got some songs. We'll sing. We'll be reminded of the gracious mercy of God. We'll get prayer. Let's be fearlessly generous. I want to invite you to stand. I'll pray over us as we step into this next moment. Take a deep breath as you stand. Realize that the place where you're at is the place where God wants to meet you. So God, would you be in this place for those with hard hearts, soften them. Help us to overcome fear as we stare and understand who, at who you are. Help us to be a community that is fearlessly generous just as you are fearlessly generous.